Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Dr. Spencer Johnson's insightful book, Who Moved My Cheese, sold 25 million copies and suggested how we can deal with change more effectively. We've since learned that adaptability is one of the most important thinking facets and that emotional intelligence, also known as EQ, can be directly linked with an individual's capacity to adapt. COVID-19 has underscored the importance of good EQ in our management teams. The new normal, which includes more remote workers, virtual meetings, and things like that, will place a greater burden on leaders to exercise good EQ so they can engage and inspire their workforces at optimal levels. The good news is that more often than not, EQ can be improved. However, due to subjectivity that can exist in 360 interviews and other self-reporting techniques, it's always been a challenge for organizations to accurately assess the EQ of their managers. We have a lot of great things planned for you today in this episode, including an effective way to assess and improve EQ. One of our guests, a fellow HR professional, will be sharing with you her successes and experiences with the program. We are pleased to have with us today two guests with whom we will discuss an objective EQ measurement methodology with Nobel Prize nomination credentials. You'll learn how it can be used to measure the EQ of your leaders with precision so that developmental programs can be effectively implemented. Our first guest is Don Everett, founder and CEO of Workforce Interactive, which is the sponsor for today's episode. After a 20 plus year career in the technology sector with organizations like Oracle and subsidiaries of Dunn and Bradstreet and SAP, he formed his company in 2006 with the intent of providing employers with unprecedented insight regarding human capital analysis. He is a value science expert who has compiled data from over half a million examinees. He is certified on a behavioral instrument associated with a Nobel Prize nomination that is used to provide insight regarding emotional intelligence. His knowledge in this area is supported by patented technology that uniquely factors the thinking values and emotional intelligence of managers and their team members. Don is uniquely qualified in the field of correlative analytics involving values, emotional intelligence, and workforce operational data. He has performed over 80 occupational studies in which organizational performance metrics were reconciled with corresponding employee values and emotional intelligence. Don majored in computer sciences through the Business College at the University of Florida. We're also pleased to have with us today Maria Randall, Vice President Human Resources for Club Assist. She has also served as the Automotive Supplier's Chief Human Resources Officer since 2016. Prior to joining Club Assist, Maria has an extensive background in human resources and has been at the VP level, leading domestic and international HR teams during the past 25 years. Her vast experience in mid-sized and large companies covers diverse industries, including automotive, healthcare, financial services, manufacturing, construction, defense, and utilities. Maria has a proven record as a change agent for increasing efficiency, reducing costs, improving productivity, and organizational effectiveness. She has been in the middle of 30-plus mergers and acquisitions and has had considerable impact on the success of bringing teams together for the long-range sustainability of many organizations. During the past five years, 
Her focus has been that of consulting with internal leaders on issues around people management, assisting staff with career development, and guiding organizational development initiatives such as team structures, identifying and developing high potential talent, and senior leadership team and strategy alignment. She is passionate about helping others discover and maximize the best versions of themselves. Finally, on June 10th, we will be hosting a live webinar called Someone Moved My Cheese Again and It's Okay This Time. This webinar will feature Don, Maria, and Ed Saylor, Director of North American Customer Service at Coherent Inc. It complements today's episode, which focuses on individual leadership development by extending the discussion into team EQ development. You'll learn how to develop management EQ so that managers welcome change and cultivate new team norms that yield ideal employee experiences. There is a link to register in the description. Thank you so much, Don and Maria, for being here today. Don, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you came upon the title, Someone Moved My Cheese Again? Jim, let me begin by saying it's great to be with you today. In response to your question about Dr. Johnson's title, Who Moved My Cheese? I just thought that was one of the best titles or the most catchy titles that I had seen you know, and it really kind of resonated with me as it did with millions of other readers on a really important topic. And it'd been some time or there has been some time that has passed since then. And I thought linking a lot of the information that has become available today back to Dr. Johnson's concepts over 20 years ago would be really helpful in connecting the dots, so to speak. So I really thought that there was so much in, in common with what he was talking about and what is encompassed in an EQ composite that I wanted to, you know, make it easy for people to draw the distinction or I should draw the connection, I should say. And at the same time, it was a personal homage to Dr. Johnson, who I have a lot of respect for um, in his book, not only the first book, but the other books that he wrote as well. Now, two of the key takeaways from Who Moved My Cheese were that one, change is inevitable and constant. And two, letting go of old tendencies can help us adapt to change. We know we can't stop change from occurring. However, we do have the capacity to check and adjust old habits. The challenge is that the practice of checking and adjusting our old habits becomes increasingly more difficult as our stress levels rise. And that's where emotional intelligence comes into play. Having good EQ enables us to remain thoughtful under duress so we don't involuntarily succumb to our reactive instincts. After testing over 500,000 people over 14 years, I'm excited to shed some new light on the subject. So Don, it would probably be helpful for our audience if you could just go ahead and sort of define uh, emotional intelligence for us. Jim, I'd be happy to. Regarding the definition of EQ, the good news is there generally seems to be consensus among the EQ professional community. At a summary level, typically EQ is defined as managing oneself and one's relationships. In doing so, one relies on four components of an EQ composite, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. When good EQ is practiced effectively, one is attentive to his or her own emotions as well as the emotions of others. When done poorly, one is not in touch with his or her emotions and or the emotions of others. So I keep hearing you say EQ, um, but it's called emotional intelligence. Why is it EQ and not EI? Yeah, that's a great question, um, and I can understand the confusion, so let me uh, do my best to address that. For decades, EQ and EI have been used interchangeably to describe emotional intelligence. 
and this perhaps caused some confusion. I happen to think it makes great sense among the emotional intelligence professional community to establish some consistency when describing our two types of intelligence. We all refer to intellectual intelligence as IQ. So it makes sense for me to have some equivalency when referring to emotional intelligence. Thus the term EQ has become a common moniker for emotional intelligence. Thanks for explaining that. Uh, it's really good to know. Uh, yeah, Don, do you think that you could uh, help put EQ in an HR context for us? Absolutely. So let's bring it into an HR realm. Let's consider an example of a new management member hired from outside an organization. And let's imagine that this new leadership recruit was selected over an internal candidate who happened to have had an impressive tenure within the organization. In this particular case, I'm going to begin by focusing on the employee who was passed up for the promotion. If that employee possesses good EQ, despite his or her disappointment, it's likely that they will eventually be able to move on in a productive manner. If that individual's EQ is poor, it's very possible they could struggle to overcome the rejection and their behavior could shift unfavorably. Now, in addition to that scenario, consider the substantial impacts associated with the EQ of the executive who opted to hire externally and the incoming manager who may very likely supervise the employee who was turned down. To illustrate how quickly things can devolve in a poor EQ climate, let's assume the overlooked employee has an opinion that insiders that have paid their dues should be preferred to outsiders. Moreover, let's assume that the new outsider manager wants to make a name for himself or herself and perform a complete makeover of the department. In the absence of good EQ, this is an explosive situation, and it highlights the importance of precise EQ measurements of all parties involved. Thanks for explaining that, Don. Um, our listeners may be familiar with a few different methods for measuring EQ. Uh, I believe they are 360 and traditional questionnaires. Maria, I was hoping you could speak about your experience with 360s. Yes, hello, and thank you for including me in this uh, podcast today. Um, 360s have been around for a long time, and I've had some very consistent experiences in several companies. Uh, probably 20 years ago, everyone was using this um, as the ideal tool to measure how people were doing their work, not just what they were doing. But the problems we ran into is that it was a very lengthy and tedious process. You'd have to select the people that are going to be assessing the person. Then you'd have to contact them. And all of a sudden, people's feelings get hurt. Well, why wasn't I selected? I, I know more about this person uh, than the others. Um, the next question was always, is it confidential? You know, I have my opinions, but I'm not sure um, what will happen if I really express myself. So therefore, they're very subjective. There was time to follow up. What I found is that often half the people just didn't get around to it. So we weren't getting the process completed sometimes in three, four weeks. Then it took another week to get the report. Then we got the report and sitting down with the employee with the data became like a performance review. They got very nervous and, oh my gosh, you know, what did people say about me? This is going to be very difficult. 
And when you would discuss them with them, the gaps of what they rated themselves at and all the areas and how they were rated by their peers and superiors, um, oftentimes they saw it, but oftentimes they really did not agree. And then the process was done because what do you do afterwards? There's really no follow-up that was built into it. So um, I would often wonder by the third, fourth time with different companies, why are we doing this? But it seemed like senior management always felt that, well, we have to get everyone's opinion. It can't just be um, one person or two people. So again, very cumbersome and uh, I'm not a favor of it. Thanks for telling about your experience with the 360s. Don, can you tell me about some of the issues that exist with self-reporting questionnaires? You bet, Jim. Much like the traditional personality test marketplace, conventional EQ tests follow a self-reporting or self-analysis format. Those of you listening who have taken a traditional personality test, like a Myers-Briggs or DISC, know exactly what I'm referring to. In the case of Myers-Briggs, an examinee is asked whether they would be first or last to leave a party. Any of the commercial DISC offerings solicit the subject for words that best and least describe them. In all of these self-analysis instruments, we have to trust that the testee is willing and able to answer accurately without tainting their responses with subjectivity. Can you help ground this this in that example you used earlier about the manager that was passed up for a promotion by an outside hire? Be happy to. So in my previous example, dealing with the outside leadership hire, in order for us to get a precise EQ picture of the individuals under consideration, all of them would have to prevent their self-interests from factoring in their self-analysis. In other words, Despite the fact that they were trying to put their best foot forward in order to get the job, we would have to accept the premise that they were purely objective in their self-examination. This vulnerability of traditional reporting or self-reporting, I should say, methodologies very often makes for imprecise results, which can make HR's job even harder to do. To make my point, think of a former hire that turned out to be a regrettable decision. Despite the fact that their self-analysis personality test looked promising. Come to find out, you can't believe that they are the same person you met in the interviewing process. Another example involves a classic self-reporting integrity test where the assessment subject is asked if they have stolen from their employer. Obviously, results could be materially distorted. It seems like there's a lot of issues with 360 interviews and self-reporting questionnaires. Don, has there been any innovation since those methods? And what do you have to say about that? Yes, Jim, absolutely. There have been some really, really substantial advances in this area. Dr. Robert Hartman was nominated for a Nobel Prize for his work in axiology, which is a formal term for a social science that is more commonly referred to as value science. For the first time, Dr. Hartman demonstrated a one-to-one relationship between mathematics and a social science. He proved that we all assign valuations to things in a consistent manner. For example, whether a person values working independently or alongside others. This objective approach enabled him to avoid the shortcomings of traditional self-reporting test schemes. Let me provide an example of how he was able to do this. Please consider the following three statements, and in your mind, pick the one that most closely represents your mindset. Number one, my aspiration 
is that my team develops a unique culture that is formed by respectfully appreciating the individuality of all of our associates. Number two, my aspiration is that my team's culture is regarded as the gold standard by our peers and those who research the subject. And number three, my aspiration is that my team's culture is one based on a firm commitment to core values and principles. So tell me, before we go on, Don, tell me uh, which one of those is the right answer? Interestingly enough, Jim, there is no right or wrong statement of the three. However, once you've valued a series of statements, your value assignments will form a pattern. That pattern may or may not be ideal for a given job, promotion, reorganization, and so on. Because the context is not transparent, the examinees cannot contaminate the results with non-objective answers. Let's look at a scenario in which we're contemplating whether it's the right time to give an individual contributor their first crack at management. We administer a traditional EQ test that calls for their response to the following comment. You are attuned to the feelings of others. And we offer them multiple choice selection options. A, never. B, sometimes. And C, always. It most definitely would not be a surprise if the employee with good intentions projected their response to what they felt the job called for instead of their reality. An objective value science exercise will overcome this potential manipulation. Now, to advance my thought further, I'd like to ask you, Jim, if you're old enough to remember Bernie Madoff. That's the guy who made off with all the investors' money, right? Yeah, and I, and I have to tell you, I appreciate the pun there. <laughs> so he is. And what's remarkable about that whole situation is that he had a great personality. He was very convincing and persuasive. He was, one of the, he was one of the most highly regarded people on Wall Street, uh, on Capitol Hill, in the, in the investment community. And so, and, well, and I should say not only that, but he was routinely asked to attend very private and or personal events of his clients, like their children's birthday parties or weddings or bar mitzvahs. However, as we learned, his personality was out of sync with how he assigned value to things in life. And how he placed valuations was directly connected to his EQ. He may have passed a traditional personality test with flying colors, but his poor EQ would have been exposed in a value science EQ assessment. Think of it this way. Personalities are how people act. Values are how people think. And thinking always comes first. I see how we can be more objective. I was wondering if you could just explore a little bit further. Sure. So let's continue this concept of thinking values and its integration with EQ. When an individual's value assignments are rendered, we learn two very important things. First, the individual's intensity is revealed across multiple dimensions. In my earlier example, I suggested a hypothetical whereby the internal management promotion candidate had an opinion that insiders who had paid their dues were more worthy than outsiders. The value science survey would reveal the intensity directed at concepts supported by that individual. It is entirely possible that the employee's reliance on his or her viewpoints could be obsessive and so severe they may not be able to reason objectively and put the incident behind them in a constructive way. Ask yourself, have you ever encountered someone in your career that certainly appeared to be uncoachable? 
I wouldn't be surprised if some of you were nodding in agreement right now. I have some significant news to share with you. After testing over a half a million examinees, it's clear that the majority of people are tethered to their views, perspectives, or philosophies more so than the sentiments or beliefs of others. And that links us back to Dr. Johnson's book, Who Moved My Cheese? I'm here to tell you that scientifically, the the data supports the fact that the majority of those in the workforce have thinking values that make them naturally resistant to change. And their EQ exposes the degree of their resistance. Uh, Don, you you mentioned two important things. You've already talked about intensity. Uh, What was the other one? So the second important thing, Jim, uncovered in a value science assessment is bias. And what I mean by bias is simply the difference in intensity across multiple thinking facets. In my earlier example with the internal management promotion candidate who believed insiders who had paid their dues were more worthy than outsiders, his or her uncompromising nature could be counterbalanced if, for example, he or she applied a similar intensity to the feelings of others. Absent that, because he or she may feel one of their sacred beliefs was violated, he or she may very well dig in and be at odds with his employer until an untenable situation is reached. Think of the value intensities or attentiveness levels all playing a part in an orchestra. When there is good balance or comparable attentiveness across the thinking spectrum, you have harmony or good EQ. When you have disparate attentiveness across the thinking spectrum, you are likely to experience poor EQ or discord. Another very important benefit identified with value sciences bias revelations is that it's designed to inform HR about an individual's thinking orientation under duress. The higher the chaos, tension, or stress, the harder the thinking biases are to manage and control. This is real important because it's impractical to expect you to administer behavioral instruments to others only under adverse or unusually burdensome conditions. HR can take comfort in knowing that value science can provide a peek into a person's thinking impulses when they're under fire. Thanks very much, Don. Audience, we're really excited uh, to have uh, Maria with us today because we can take a look at how a real-world VP of HR uses these tools. Maria, do you mind just exploring how it is that you've used these? Uh, Sure, Jim. I'm really excited about this product because I started off using it just for recruiting when I met Don about eight or nine months ago. And um, we were looking for how do we, we had some higher level openings and we thought, how do we find a person that's results oriented, self-aware, has high self-expectations and is going to fit into our culture, not just that they can do the job, but how can they do it well? So we started um, utilizing this test assessment um, for people coming in, in addition to some others. And um, some of our leaders, when they got the results of this test um, for their candidates, said, well, wait a minute, this is really interesting. I think I'd like to go through it. So it very quickly gave me the thought that I'd like to take our leadership team through this and um, get a team EQ, how we work well as a team. We've got a very diverse group. And um, so we asked Don to come in. There was 10 of us that report to the CEO. 
asked Don to come in for a two-hour session and right before COVID-19. It was the first week of March, so it's fairly recent. And he spent an hour with the team talking about the concept and training us on EQ and what we should be looking for. And the fun second hour was him actually, we agreed that we would share each other's um, scores with each other, that it was okay to do that. And to watch Don, without knowing anyone in the room, zone in on everyone's strengths and everyone's challenges. And by about the third or fourth person, the people that would be the most naysayers were literally sitting back on their seat going, wow, how does he do this? I don't understand. This is just awesome. So at the end of that session, um, my CEO said, that was a fantastic meeting. What a great way to get to know more about each other. So as we um, got, we each got reports after the meeting that um, the distinctiveness report is the one that uh, I'm really happy about. It's an 18-page report that goes through like your noteworthy characteristics, core values that you hide, when your thinking is off target, how you differ, when you're vulnerable, strengths you can rely on, your thinking that limits your ability to listen, and then a bit of advice, which is very personal at the end. And the fact that people got this much information right after the meeting, because I held up the reports so they would pay attention and then sent it out after the meeting, um, was just amazing how happy they were with it. And, you know, we send people to conferences that might cost seven to $10,000 for a whole week offsite. And often the results that they get back are less than what they got through this report and very much in line with it. But I would say this covers three or four dimensions that are not the whole EQ that is really not covered in DISC and Myers-Briggs quite to the same depth by any means. So what came out of this was that the 10 leaders said, well, I'd like to take this further down to my staff for succession planning. I'd like to see who on my staff is promotable from an EQ perspective, because I already know whether they're promotable or not from work capacity, but I see some behaviors that I'm not sure um, people are fit for senior management positions. So we did the same thing through a webinar. Don joined us for um, another hour uh, by web and um, explained the process. And then the second hour really went through and talked about individual people in the meeting uh, who were on the call, their strengths. We decided to keep the developmental opportunities for themselves personally. But again, it really got a lot of credibility because this time we did it for a group of operation leaders that are account managers that don't normally get these training sessions. We don't normally um, take the time or have the resources to give them as much training as we'd like. So they felt very good for them to be able to have this personal situation. So when we looked at the results of this operations group as a team, we saw all their strengths. We saw some of the challenges and it was a very supportive environment, even online. We, the next group that we took through that was the corporate staff directors, head of marketing, finance, uh, accounting. And a lot of times those people, they had been to some of those courses and still when they came back, they had their assessments, they had some coaching, they had one or two areas, but this distinctiveness report totally took a different angle. They were very, very happy with it. And so when we sent the report to them right after the meeting, I asked them three things. What did you learn about yourself? 
What do you see as your greatest strength? And what one or two areas do you wish to develop during the next year? So instead of this kind of dying on the vine like a 360 does, this is going to help me build the foundation for um, all the developmental programs that we're going to be planning for the next year going ahead. And at the end of all of this, we've now tested about 50 employees. And I look back to our leadership meeting and ever since then, um, our company's really excited about EQ. We talk about it, we have the same language. One of the best things that happened coming out of the leadership meeting when we had gone through the EQ, we'd identified everyone's um, strengths individually, developmental areas as a team. As many of you in HR know that sometimes HR makes our work look too easy and people wonder what we do. Um, and I definitely have felt that in, in many companies I've worked in. I tend to be somewhat friendly and, oh, Maria, you know, she, she's working hard, but you know, it's HR. So it was very interesting to see what came out of this meeting. The assessment was that myself and one other person had the highest self-expectation scores. And the same two of us also were the best change agents. In other words, we respond well to change. We thrive on it. And I have to tell you that that entire team, but especially the CEO, I felt looked at me differently after that and understood that I wasn't just HR uh, doing nice things for people, but there was substance in the way that we in HR do the work. And there's value that comes out of it, value that can be measured. Thanks so much, Maria. Um... Honestly, it sounds like a lot of fun, um, and it's really great to hear the value that it can bring to HR. I, I know that our listeners uh, will appreciate that. Don, is there anything that we haven't talked about? Jim, we've set up a promotional URL for all of your listeners. It is www.workforceinteractive.com forward slash 2020 promotion. I'll repeat that, www.workforceinteractive.com slash 2020 promotion. On the page, we have listed three deeply discounted report packages for leadership EQ development. One of the offers provides for two individuals to complete the exercise, and each of them will receive two personal development reports. A second offer enables five individuals to complete the exercise, and all five will receive two personal reports. And the third offer also serves five individuals with two reports each. However, an additional report is included that takes into account the entire team. It is designed to supply a manager with insight on how to optimally manage their direct reports individually as well as a group. And finally, I'd like to mention that the Value Science Survey usually only takes 20 minutes to complete. Thank you again so much, Don and Maria, for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, Jim. It's been a pleasure. You're most welcome. I would also like to remind you that you can have your cheese moved twice in one week. On June 10th, we'll be hosting a live webinar called Someone Moved My Cheese Again, and it's okay this time. This webinar will feature Don, Maria, and Ed Saylor, who's the Director of North American Customer Service at Coherent Incorporated. It complements our podcast today, uh, which focused on individual leadership development by extending the discussion into team EQ development. You'll learn how to develop management EQ so that managers welcome change 
and cultivate new team norms that yield ideal employee experiences. There's a link to register in the description. Listeners, we're always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HRWorksPodcast with any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general. Thanks for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.